So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm Nate Larkin here with my good friend, David Hampton. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey. How you doing? Uh, (laughs) Doing well, still settling into life here in Mount Pleasant. How is it out at Green Acres? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and to make life more interesting, uh, my my wife surprised me uh, with 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 a kitten. We we had oh a kitten. my gosh yeah a kitten yeah I had mixed feelings uh, mm. when the cat arrived I thought we were done with cats uh, yeah mm-hmm. I was I was ready to be kind of to ride off into you know a bit post cat uh, stage of life but anyway no 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 we got we've got a kitten oh my and, gosh uh, we also have got grandkids four doors away. <laughs> Well, if you've got a kitten, you might as well uh, bring them all together and <laughs> let the let the grandkids manage the kitten or something. Yeah. But you know what? I'm I am having such a good time now watching this little kitten play. She is nonstop action. She is absolutely fascinated by everything, endlessly curi- curious. Uh, still learning her way around, does stupid things all the time, chases yeah. her tail and, you know, falls off things. And, uh, but she's having a great time being alive. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. my, my grandkids come down and, and play. I mean, they're 12 year old twins yeah. and they play. Yeah. And their, their older sister who will soon be 16, their special needs sister will just amuse herself all day long. And uh, I got to tell you, there was a period of my life where I forgot, I forgot how to play. Oh yeah. Somewhere right? around the time that uh, <laughs> the addiction was taking yeah. up all our time. Yeah. 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 And that was supposed to be recreation. I think is what I kind of thought it was, mm-hmm. uh, but it was just miserable routine. Uh, and now to get back in a place, I, I you know, I'm never going to be a kitten again. And I will tell you, I love when the grandkids come down. But after a while, I have a, I don't have as high a tolerance for chaos as I used to have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when the mess starts to accumulate, uh, you know, I can become, you know, grumpy grandpa for a while. Mm-hmm. But I also can find times to, to play. And, and really to me, that surprise, one of the great gifts of sobriety is that we regain, uh, first of all, the bandwidth to play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. then over time, the capacity to, and it's not this kind of grim, torturous life that, you know, this dull, boring life that we thought would come with sobriety. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 All those things that we thought we would like to do or want to do, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but somehow couldn't manage to get to because we had other things, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, preoccupying us. I was on the treadmill this morning and um, I thought, had the thought, you know, there was a point in time where I was in no shape to be standing up on anything that moved <laughs> that hour in the morning. <laughs> that, yeah. was not, that was not my best time of day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, recovery and sobriety uh, creates that bandwidth for all this stuff that we thought, well, you know, God, what am I supposed to do that? Or, um, yeah, yeah, you know, right. maybe I'm just too old to play or maybe I've lost my capacity to have fun. And the reality is, no, we haven't at all. Yeah. Uh, we've just got to give ourselves that, the, the clarity and the bandwidth in order to get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, we've got a guest today that, uh, actually resonates a bit with that message. Uh, yeah. tells us, yeah, a, a wonderful storyteller, fascinating guy, uh, listeners, you're going to enjoy this when we return on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, hey, David, you've got a, a another fascinating guest for us this week. We uh, do. Introduce him, will you? Yeah, this is Jason Carter, and Jason is coming to us from the San Antonio area. And Jason's an entrepreneur and a husband, and um, he's the author of a book called To Hell I Ride, When a Life Examined Became Worth Living. And so uh, I'm real excited to hear about not only how that title came to be, but uh, Jason's trip into recovery and um, what all prompted it and how that all worked. So Jason, welcome to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We're real glad to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Very excited. Great, great. So, uh, a life examined, uh, do I gather from the subtitle that there was a period in your life that, uh, you were not examining what was going on? I, I think it's, I was always examining, but there were certain times where I was probably denying what was really going on and, uh -huh. you know, the, um, or it was just too hard to examine. And, you know, the saying that, um, a, an unexamined life is not worth living, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a turn on the phrase there. So once I really started digging into what was going on in my life at a very low point, I started figuring out the things that really made life worth living. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But you did that in a really, uh, what sounds like an unusual way. You had a, you had a road trip. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about life before the road trip and then how the road trip uh, kind of came to came to be. Sure. So really quickly, just to address the the title of the book, because, uh, you know, you'd mentioned that in the opening of the show. It's interesting because the, it does create some confusion. And the in Telluride, Colorado, there is part of the history people always talk about the origin of the name 
There is, you know, Tellum, which is a mineral and gold, which it used to be an old miner's town. And that's sort of how it came. But the legend says that the town was so hard and tough and crazy and wild and poker and women and whiskey that people going there um, would tell people where they're going and uh, other pioneers that knew all about the town and were afraid for them were would tell them, well, to hell you ride, to hell you ride. Oh, tell uh, you ride. There you so, go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, it's interesting because it, it made sense to me because I have been to Telluride numerous times and, you know, put my nose in the library and read through books and read the history. So I was like, oh, I mean, this title is just, it's divine. I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> um, but then I, I, I kind of overthought or I guess overassumed that, oh, hasn't everybody been to Telluride and understands the town's name origin? I mean, <laughs> so, um, and, I, and I appreciate that because I guess if you really think about it, the title to hell I ride could, you know, cover a lot of things like, um, explaining, you know, a, a drive to Walmart on black Friday, you know, to <laughs> hell I ride. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to uh, build some clarity around that, um, somehow, you know, at least in the, in the marketing process. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, uh, when we're talking about recovery and all of that, uh, that it, it opens pretty aptly, I think. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I, I guess to answer your question, where I was before the road trip, um, I, for about, I don't know, I, I'm 50. And so I would say that alcohol crept into my life probably when I was five or six years old, you know, just visually seeing, mm -hmm. you know, my dad, who was a, a drinker and, and then noticing that it, this was something that made people different. And, but he, you know, he was a Marine, an athlete, a fraternity guy, you know, somebody that I, I admired greatly, loved and idolized. And so I just thought that's what people do. You know, that's what, you know, heroes do. That's what alpha men do. So I never really had an issue with it. And early in the book, <clears throat> I relive a chapter of my life and I was in second or third grade and Cosmos was on uh, PBS. If you remember that, mm -hmm. this was probably oh, in '78. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, it was the, the talk of the country. And you know, we went to a neighbor's house, and my dad got into the beers. And this was, you know, a Tuesday night, and and he really got super drunk and passed out during the show, and snoring, and you know, woke up and kind of was really disoriented and kind of cussed at my mom. And I was just, you know, it was just like seeing Superman, you know, turn down a fight or something. It was just the, the, the most bizarre thing. But at the same time, um, it didn't change the course of my life or how I felt about, you know, alcohol. I, it scared me. Um, they got divorced soon after. And so, I guess not being a part of that or his life on a daily, even monthly basis. Maybe I put some distance between myself and that, <clears throat> but a pretty typical, you know, life, you know, the high school, the keg parties, college, and, you know, the twenties professional, you know, a lot of drinking. And I think 
I, I knew it was a problem. You know, I was usually the one that was drunker than everybody else, even though I was like, I think everybody's drinking eight glasses mm-hmm. of wine at dinner, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I think that that self-awareness started becoming very exhausting, you know, because I, I wasn't in denial. You know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty introspective uh, fella. So I would rake myself over the coals every morning. I had a hangover uh, with, I mean, just tremendous remorse and guilt. And, but it's, and that made it worse because, you know, knowing you're doing something that's so just bad, not only for your health, but, you know, for the, the people in your life that love you and count on you, you're, you're essentially choosing, I'm not going to give you my best. Yeah. Right. You know, right. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to do what's good for me or what I think is good for me. And whether it's your children, your wife, your pastor, your parents, you're making them secondary mm-hmm. without question. And when you start realizing that, you know, you start thinking you're a bad guy, you know, and, and you're not a bad guy, but mm-hmm. this kind of, um, you know, this dueling, it was like dueling banjos, you know, I guess the, what the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other, I think that I think maybe alcohol isn't seen as being that powerful by some like, you know, oh, I can just have a couple of glasses of wine. But for for some of us, whether it's sugar, alcohol, whatever, whatever you're willing to put in front of anything, whether it's your future or your kids as a, as a buffer or an obstacle, um, that's a problem. Yeah. And yeah, the more I you know realized that. Um, uh, the more depressed I became because when you're dealing with, you know, um, you know, discongruent thoughts and your actions, y- you can't help but start not trusting even yourself, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. no different than if you're trying to lose weight and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm doing this because it's healthy. And the next thing you know, you're rummaging through the fridge at midnight and, making a sandwich and eating cookies and you're doing that, but knowing you're just taking everything that you've known to be true. You've kind of promised to yourself and throwing it out the window. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the next day you wake up and you feel terrible and guilty and you feel like you're already behind, you know, Oh, now I got to, you know, run 10 miles to burn that off. And with alcohol, you wake up same way, but you know, with a hangover. So, Uh Now you're dragging an anchor into the world that you're trying to actually do some pretty good stuff in, whether it's, you know, professionally or personally. So when I was about, I think, 35, went on a you know vacation with friends and it just turned into, a, for me, like a, a leaving Las Vegas. Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more like leave it, leaving Montana. Um, <laughs> and, and it was all just about, you know, these big lunches, long dinners, you know, late night whiskeys. And I got it back to San Antonio and, you know, I, I'd never felt so bad just about not only my egregious behavior, but physically, you know, I was 35 years old, arguably in the, the prime of my life. And it was hard to get out of bed. And, and I just said, you know what the hell, I'm, I'm going to quit. And so I did like a nine month stretch. And what was great about that is that I learned all the amazing things about being sober, you know, by not having this 
you know, King Alcohol, pull your puppet strings anymore, you know, train for the marathon, finish the marathon, you know, uh, did better at work, I promoted, all these great things started happening, but soon realized it just wasn't enough. Mm. You know, I, I noticed that nobody else in my life really changed or veered in my lane. And, and so it just became very lonely. You know, I, I mm-hmm. was not, you know, there was no group therapy for me. It was just all, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing. Mm. And I fell, or I guess off the wagon. And, and I, I just committed. I told people, well, fuck, you know what? I'm going to recommit to drinking, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in my, uh, my mind, I was so sad. You know, the first time I, I, I guess I broke the seal. Um, I was just like, what am I doing? But then all those feelings just wash away, as we all know. That sure. After that second drink, it's like, oh, everything's great. And this led down um, about a nine-year path where uh, it just progressively got worse and worse in terms of not really like, you know, going to jail or anything like that. It was just the amount I was drinking and specifically kind of alone. You know, I, I always made an effort to, you know, have... I had kids that were in very impressionable ages, and I remember vividly seeing my dad lose control and how much it scared me. And I never wanted them to see that, so I would do my best, you know, mm-hmm. to you know, wobble between the lines, get them to bed, and then really get to work. And it, it just got to this point where I, through the self-realization of knowing what I'm doing, is it's killing me physically, you know, over the long term, but also everything in the short term is it's just wiping out. You know, I, when, when a person can't dream or set goals because you know, they're not going to happen. Even if it's a simple one, like, you know, I want to, you know, save up and buy a plot of land and build a cabin, you know, something that most people could do, but in your mind, you're like, well, you're not going to do that. Or if you did, you just go there and use it as a, you know, like a a drinking hole or something. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not going to do it. And then you would just go and continue to drink. And so all of these things just, you know, it really brought me to that point of, you know, I just don't want to live anymore. You know, what is the point? I know so many people that and, you know, maybe behind the scenes is a different story, but, you know, they drink, they're aggressive drinkers, and they seem to be having so much fun, and they're never really down on themselves. You know, my internal voice has always been a, a pretty cruel one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, I don't know, great Santini type of yeah internal mm-hmm. voice, you yeah. know, come on, sport, come on, and... um <laughs> And I, and I just, you know, I was 43, 44, and, and I just, I really started thinking, you know what, I, I, I don't have the wherewithal, the energy, or even really the hope to just go forward, or at least in the way that I would like to go forward. And, you know, there was just a lot of thoughts, a lot of daydreams of, you know, you know, ending your life, you know, the suicide. and. Mm-hmm. And it, and it wasn't 
like I really thought I was ever going to, you know, swallow a bottle of pills. But I, I just realized, like, you know what? Some people probably fantasize about going to Cancun to recharge. You know, I'm sitting here on a long drive wondering what it'd like to be, to, you know, to run into this ditch at 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I finally went to a psychiatrist and, you know, as I was explaining, like, you know, here's how much I drink, here's what I'm feeling, you know, kind of the color in her face, you know, went away. <laughs> I mean, she even grabbed my hand and, and said, have you had a drink today? I'm like, no, it's, it's like 10 in the morning on a work day. And she's like, so? And um, I go, no. And she was stunned that I, I, I wasn't having like, you know, the DTs. And she also recognized in the way I was kind of manic and talking about, you know, suicide as if it was, you know, a day at the the horse track Mm -hmm. that uh, bipolar one was a high probability. And, Mm -hmm. and, and the way she just looked at me and said, you know, you just, you just can't drink, (laughs) you know, it was the first time, I guess, Somebody that was, um, I guess, you know, a, a medical doctor, but also somebody that didn't have, you know, all the context, you know, because, you know, I'm sure numerous friends were like, you got to stop drinking or while they were drinking or maybe my wife a time or two, but it, it just made sense. Mm-hmm. And then six days later, after that diagnosis, I was driving my wife and kids to Telluride to hell I ride uh, for a ski trip and a spring break. And, and, and the book really covers the 17 hour drive because all I did was just think about my life. Um, you know, kids are asleep or listening to music. Same with the wife. And so, you know, on the open road, you know, I love the open road, you know, and the thing about the open road for somebody that's a, a, pretty intense thinker. Not that that is a good or bad thing to be, but it just leaves your imagination. Uh, it basically gives it the, the key to the universe. You can go anywhere <laughs> without interruption. Yeah, and yeah. you know, that, that, that's probably not a good thing for people like me, especially, or anybody that's suffering from suicidal depression, because those are the thoughts that are, are weighing you down. And, and I started just thinking of my life as a, uh, a riddle of sorts. And my goal was to answer the question that I was asking myself, which is how in the hell did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You know, why did alcohol turn me into this person that I loathe? You know, I, I've always been a very confident person as, you know, he's even as a child, and I always had big dreams and I wasn't afraid to chase them. You know, um, I moved to New York city with a duffel bag, you know, to try and conquer Madison Avenue, drove cross country to LA. There was nothing I really wouldn't do mm-hmm. not as a daredevil, but more because I'm like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And now I was at a point in my life, you know, 43, 44 years old. Um, you know, and, and, and easy to and start thinking like, well, George Bush was like governor, you know, when he was <laughs> 43, you know, he yeah. accomplished things. And, you know, of course, I didn't really tie it together that he stopped drinking and then then became, you know, yeah, yeah, politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
And anyway, I, as I was driving there, you know, 17 hours on the road, pounding coffee, you know, going through like a log of Copenhagen <laughs> and just my mind spinning. I, you know, six, seven, eight months later, that's when I decided to write, uh, write the book. There was another kind of inspirational moment for me. Cause I didn't, I know how hard it is to write, you know, um, having written screenplays, even though they were probably the trash or have ended up in the trash behind the uh, lot at Warner brothers. But, um, you know, it's a lot of time to, to really write a book. I mean, years yeah. Yeah. Um, to do it right. And so, but I just couldn't stop wondering how it happened. And I needed for myself to kind of put it down and I kind of did it on note cards or in my journal, you know, weaving in and out. And this is, now sober. And I was just wondering how this could possibly be a good use of my time or how it would help somebody else. And, you know, the, the truth of it is I was playing golf. Uh, this was in, I think in August, this was about eight months after I, I stopped and didn't really understand what I'm supposed to do with this story. And, you know, it's like 110, not 110, 100. 99 to hundred degrees humid. And I, I always go out to this golf course very close to my house around six o'clock. And in Texas, you know, you still have a good three hours of sun and heat and it's probably the hottest part of the day. Mm. And I hit a, you know, hook one uh, on a par five and I'm just walking up the hill drenched in sweat. And I have this vision of this, of me. And I'm all of a sudden I'm sitting at this, kind of beach resort, which is weird because I don't even like those kind of places. And I noticed a guy staring at me at across the pool and I just can't, you know, really understand why I look back up and he's checking me out. And finally he comes over and he's kind of this, you know, middle-aged guy. He's got like red hair and freckles, a little sunburn and he has a wife and two kids and says, uh, you know, are you uh, Jason Carter? I'm like, uh, yeah. And he looks at his wife and kids and says, yeah, this is the guy that uh, you know, wrote the book that saved my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could have been having a heat stroke, probably, but <laughs> I, uh, I left that day and um, got home, showered, opened up my laptop and just was like chapter one. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Mm hmm. And, uh, and that, and that's the real reason, you know, that the motivated behind the book, it, it, you know, this isn't a how to, there's so many wonderful how to books and people that have dedicated their lives to helping people that want just direct answers, um, to specific questions. And, you know, my thinking was, I, as much as I sometimes think I'm, you know, a super person, I'm, I'm. I'm an average Joe, you know, there's, there's a lot of people just like me, you know, middle-class guy, uh, college job career, you know, trying to get their part of the American dream and, and believing they can. And then all of a sudden, you know, alcohol just kind of, uh, takes over and mm -hmm. it could be, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's, um, you know, what, what does the Hemingway quote 
and I think the sun also rises about bankruptcy. It's, you know, how did you go bankrupt? And it was, well, gradually, then suddenly. And I, yeah. I think that's, I think that's the case with, with alcohol. You know, you, you just don't realize what it has taken from you already. And um, I, I just thought as much as I read, I never found the book that, that really just kind of grabbed me or one that I could relate to. And the um, best feedback I've received and, and most of my early readers weren't drinkers. Uh, they were just, you know, people I knew, um, you know, older doctors and moms, wives, whatever. And every single one was just, this is so relatable, you know, if yeah, not yeah, to yeah. me, now I get an idea of what's going on with so-and-so. And, and I think ultimately that helps create a compassion um, uh. for not only yourself, if you're reading it and going, Oh my God, this is a, I, I see myself here, you know, uh-huh. I'm not the only one, but also if, if somebody in your life is struggling, I think this is the book that's going to explain to them, you know, in a pretty humorous way that there's a lot more going on, um, you know, uh-huh. behind the eyeballs than just some guy that likes to get drunk yeah. because beer tastes good. And I like shooting pool. You know, it's, I just think there's so many different layers. And if you think about the number of people, you know, that have struggled in the millions, I think um, the world health organization has the number at 400 million people struggle uh, with, right. with booze. And, and as we all know, you know, boozers are the greatest liars. So there's probably like a billion, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're filling out the, the survey. Like, Oh no, I don't have a problem with alcohol. But- Um, Yeah, yeah. And so I think this is just, it's a story, you know, about a life and it's not sad. It's more of just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a a life I can relate to. This person had, you know, dreams. There's a, you know, kind of a narrative arc, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that people, you know, need in storytelling and respond to in a way that they could see themselves or their coworker or their spouse or their son. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and, and having kids, you know, when I started writing the book, my son was in, I believe eighth grade, which is, you know, right when I, I would say got on the track, you know, I'd always, you know, sip a beer here, this and that here. But seventh grade is when it became like, Oh, we're going to Jenny's house. Well, who's going to, steal a six pack from the grocery store or, uh-huh. you know, take something from dad's liquor cabinet. Uh-huh. And, you know, so I wanted them to also, you know, have something that they could, you know, a, a manual. And, and it would, what's great about it is that uh, I, there was such a, a great transparency <clears throat> because the more I, you know, wrote about it and thought about it, and kind of was coming to these, you know, conclusions, I, I was like, I, I got to share this, you know, like, so I have no problem, you know, talking to my sons, you know, about drinking. I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, look, I, I'm not telling you not to, you know, I think, I think, I think alcohol is great. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. keg parties, tailgates, I mean, all these things are in your future. And, 
But what I, I want you to do is just think about it. And, you know, if you find out that third beer is, you'd rather have that than your next breath, mm-hmm. make a note of that, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, don't, don't go run away or run to rehab. But I think just being more aware of, you know, what is this doing to me? You know, yeah, you know, two glasses of wine at dinner and you go off and do your normal life. But for people that can't do that, you know, I'm not a scientist, not a doctor, but I understand genetic code and I believe in a lot. I don't believe in that. It's just a lot of facts around it. The, some people have dopamine uh, cages. We all have them. And for some of us, alcohol is the key. Um, Nicotine, sugar, whatever. And I think that if you're, if you're concerned enough with it, or if you're are curious enough about why, I think that's a really good place to start for for a young person that's entering in the age of you know college football, professional life, where where alcohol's everywhere, you mm-hmm. know. Well, friends. David and I are pleased to welcome to the podcast a new sponsor, Soberlink. And we're positive that you're going to love this tool for managing your alcohol recovery. In early sobriety, we often focus on what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. Soberlink, you're gaining increased accountability, a deterrent against drinking, and a tool to help you stay connected with people who care. Uh, Here's what it is. It's a really high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones. In case there's ever a slip, your treatment professional or anyone else you've chosen to be in your recovery circle will know immediately. Uh, More important than the technology is the brand. It is part of Soberlink's mission to break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which is why they partner with Positive Sobriety Podcast and many others in the recovery community. It's also why they specifically focus on using alcohol monitoring as a recovery tool, not for criminal or recreational purposes. There there isn't anything like it on the market. Well, together we've developed a guide called Tips for Keeping a Positive Outlook on Sobriety. And you can download it at www.soberlink.com PSP. That PSP is for Positive Sobriety Podcast. On that page, you'll also find a form to request $50 off your purchase when you're ready to try Soberlink. I've seen some people, you know, come hard on their kids or spouse or whatever and say, you just can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's a moral failing. Right. There's just too much going on. You know, the 7 billion people in the world, we're all different. We all have, you know, trillions of different cells and the way they react to sunlight, water, air, alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think they're, is a if there was a prescription for like curiosity, you know, that starts with yourself, and then if you're able to share that with others and get a better understanding of what's going on, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I think storytelling is the only way to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Speaking of storytelling, did I hear you correctly, uh, Jason? Did you say that you had written screenplays? Yes. So my final year in, in college, I got into an art, radio, TV, film class, and I really connected with a professor who was a writer for television back in the, I don't know, 80s or something. And and it was one of these things where I, I just realized I, I, I grew up a huge movie fan and movies are referenced throughout the book to kind of timestamp the narrative and, you know, also kind of give you an idea of what was going on in my head. And, you know, once I learned the formatting and the, you know, the font and all that and the three act structure, I was like, hell yeah, I can do this, mm-hmm. you know, and I would watch, you know, I, I was really more inspired. Some people that got into film were like inspired by like the Godfather or, Citizen Kane, you know, I would see something like used cars and go, I can write that, you know, know, silly comedy. And, and I, and I loved it. And I, I worked on my craft, you know, read the books. And then when I moved to New York and right after college and couldn't really work my way into Madison Avenue the way I thought I was going to, I, I got a non-paying internship at a production company. And after driving like delivery trucks to sets and taking down sets and doing all these things behind the scenes, I was allowed to uh, become a reader. And as you guys probably know that, you know, every place has an agent or whatever, a reader that takes the 50 or so scripts that come mm-hmm. in almost every day and mm-hmm. you try and read them. And mm-hmm. so I'd go back to my apartment and I would read, 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 and just get more inspired. Like, uh, you know, I can, I can do better than this. And, Mm -hmm. um, and also just learning the structure. So I just started writing them, uh, then got into the UCLA, uh, screenwriting program. And that's what pulled me out to LA. And I, you know, I drove out there with two scripts already written. I think I wrote four more while I was there, but there, there's just so much more to it Mm -hmm. um, than just, you know, yeah. Writing fade out print. And, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, one, maybe the quality just wasn't that great as much as I thought they were, but it is, I think today would be a better time for that because there's such a, a need for content to fill all these, right. all the outlets, yeah. yeah, all the streamers, you know, yeah. back then, back in, back in those days, let me tell you, um, it was, I think the, I think the big studios made maybe 200 movies a year. Mm. And, you know, the independence, you know, maybe 50. So any given year, um, less than 300 movies. I don't even know what the number is today. It's in the thousands. Mm. So it was just a long shot. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but yes, I, I love movies. Um, and I still kind of think that I have another screenplay in me, but, I, you know, I just don't know. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I've got to imagine, though, that that experience... Uh, all those years ago in writing and thinking and storytelling and the craft of storytelling uh, paid off when it come, came time to do this memoir. <clears throat> well, I, you know, God and the universe works in ways that we'll never understand. And, you know, after about 12 to 13 years in this high pressure sales environment for a great company, you know, I didn't have any issues with anything except this is not what I was put here to do. 
I was pulled into the communications department because we were getting into some, you know, this is when Amazon was starting to build technology that we had. Mm -hmm. And that was before we all knew, oh my gosh, Amazon will win everything no matter what. (laughs) So, you know, I was pulled in um, to help write blogs and speeches and, you know, thoughts around that. And so mm-hmm. it, it got me back into to telling stories and, and I loved it. And so when things uh, stopped moving there, there was like an acquisition or something. I, I just left, started my own little communications firm and now help. Um, I really like working with startups and, you know, venture capitalists who acquire startups or invest in them. And they're like, okay, we've got this thing. How do we tell the story? And then I meet with the people and I walk them through the whole story, you know, like the arc of it, the, you know, the hero's journey, you know, the ordinary world, the call to action, the meeting of the mentor, the first battle, all, all these things are wrapped in Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's the way humans process stories, you know, from the beginning of the time. And so knowing all those things and really respecting those things, it really paid off writing the book because I, I wasn't going to write something that didn't adhere to the quality of a, a great narrative arc, you know? Um, and it just so happened that, um, you know, a, a life of booze um, coupled with uh, a spiritual intervention makes a pretty good arc. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, you know, a Christmas carol, you know, it's like the mm-hmm. man at the end of his rope goes and you know drudges through his past until you know the um the clarity is there and so uh i i was very happy to be able to put those skills you know or um passion back into work for sure yeah well jason you mentioned that um you know this was really kind of a spiritual journey for you uh the not just the drive <laughs> you know to to hell a ride but um but just in general, this is a spiritual awakening. What has been maybe one or two of the more profound things you realized about you or um, how uh, the reality of life and the circumstances you were you were experiencing? What were what were a couple of the really profound things that helped you change your direction, find your bigger why into recovery? Um, you know, well, the. The incident itself. So, you know, we're up there and tell you, I've been there for a couple of days. I hadn't mm-hmm. had a drink, you know, mm-hmm. still reminded of what the psychiatrist said. And, you know, anybody that's been a really long-term or heavy drinker, I mean, after that third day without a drink, mm-hmm. feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there wasn't a problem. You know, you just mm-hmm. start feeling yourself with all these, you know, mm-hmm. moronic thoughts. And, we had just wrapped up a, a great day of skiing and I was like, you know, one glass of wine. I'm going to go to this little wine bar that I remember from the year before, you know, come on, this isn't, you're overdoing it. Of course, this is like mm-hmm. King alcohol, you know, yeah. interstage left. And as I'm walking, you know, down the street, you know, I just, uh, man, I, I, I just was like, man, I, I'm literally, know exactly what I'm doing and I'm, I just know where it's going to go. I I mean, I know that I can't have one glass of wine maybe today, but it's going to 
you know, open this can of worms. It'll reveal itself a week later, a year later, who knows? And, you know, I get to that the little wine bar. I, I kind of peer in the window, like uh, looking at a puppy. You know? <laughs> and um, there was uh, a, a bartender that, you know, just didn't look friendly uh, or something. But something just kind of made me keep walking. And then I, in my head, I was just like, man, just just keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. And, you know, Telluride is a interesting town. It's, you know, in a valley of mountains. and once you get to the end of the town, you have no other choice but to do U-turn, maybe go up a street. And so kind of lost in this fog, I walk and, um, you know, I just, I really just start hearing a voice that that wasn't mine and and just saying, you know, you don't have to do this anymore. Uh You you don't have to do this anymore. And, you know, I, I just kept hearing that over and over and over and I'm walking and kind of like, now we're kind of not like completely lost, but I was finally snapped out of it. And I sit down on this bench and I'm just kind of bawling, crying, you know, it was because I knew that I didn't have to use anymore, you know, mm-hmm. as simple as that. And, and I never felt so kind of just free and yeah. And I, and I, at that moment, I just, I, I just couldn't imagine myself ever wanting a drink again and I kind of get up and I brush myself off and I start walking back to where we were staying and I, I go, you know, have I, I just want to look at where I was and kind of <laughs> mark this moment and you know I look back and in and, and this I guess zoning laws there are kind of strange or something, but within these little bungalow houses there's one that's bigger than the rest and it was uh it was first Presbyterian church of Telluride, you know, I was sitting, you know, just on a bench <laughs> randomly there as, as literally I feel like this, this weight and thirst is just being extracted. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not a super, I mean, Bible thumper telling people what to do. I never have been. And so it was very, um, like for months, I didn't even tell my wife this story, you know, because, you know, one, I, I'm smart, aware enough to know that like if a drink is not going to do that, because you, then you'd have to make a promise, you know, that you're not, you know, I wanted to maybe leave that door open. I recognized that that was part of it. But when I finally, you know, six months in, we're at dinner and I kind of share like what happened. And, you know, every time I tell it, I can't help but just cry. And, you know, we're sitting at the restaurant and you know, she just didn't seem very impressed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, part of that is, I'm sure it's like boy cries wolf or something. Mm-hmm. But the other part of it that planted the seed, which I think sprouted on the golf course um, with the the man. I, I just if we can pause here, editor. I don't know if the did that get recorded about yeah the the red haired guy. Yep. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So this was two months before, you know, I, I kind of was pushed again to write it. But what her reaction told me is that I'm just not, I'm not telling the story correctly. Um, because usually when somebody has a, a, a brush with God or near death experience, um, and they come and visit a Bible study to the church or 
the book tour, people are just leaning in, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can't mm-hmm. get enough of it. And, you know, it could have been that the audience was not ready to hear my story. Uh, my wife, who had every reason to probably grow very tired of me over the last 15 to 20 years. But the other part of it was just like, it, it's if I'm sitting here feeling the way I do, crying these tears of joy, every time I bring it up, you know, I, my little conversation I have with God um, in the mornings while I'm journaling is, you know, God saved me for this. And what this is um, kind of changes every day. And sometimes it could be a question mark, you know, where I find myself doing something that I don't necessarily want to be doing, you know, um, work-wise or personal-wise, like going to a, a long dinner party, you know, mm-hmm. soaked with wine. And and by doing that, you know, I put the question mark there and go, God saved me for this? You know, <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to. I'm going to respectfully decline the invitation to this party and get to work on what I should be doing. And I think that's a very important message for people that either, you know, grew up going to Sunday school or never went at all is that there, there are choices in your life. And I think there are spiritual forces backing those up. Um, You know, once you feel it's the right choice for you Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, speaking about myself in terms of like, I think that I just can't read into other people's minds or how they react to things like that. But mine, mine was just a pure reaction of like, I, I, but I never have had a drink since it's been over six years. And the idea of it, it's just incomprehensible. And, and I have a friend who stopped right around the same time and we're similarly wired, you know, Mm -hmm. kids about the same age. And, we we were like, he travels on business a lot. And at the time I was too. And we, we would talk about like, okay, well, yeah, we we're done, but I'm going to New York on business alone. You know, mm-hmm. who would know um, or care uh, if I spent all Friday at a pub and passed out in the hotel until my plane left. Started? Nobody would know. Um, yeah. And, and it, I was never scared. Like, Oh my gosh. You know, like walking back and forth in front of the bar, I, I was just like, I'm going to go to the park and jog. And then I'm going to go up on the west side and find the best cupcake in town and do the research and then go to a bookstore. And you start realizing like, wow, it is possible, but it's also, it takes a little extra effort because we are so conditioned to five o'clock drink. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. It's at a hotel lobby, it's at home and your day's done. Mm -hmm. But when you stop drinking, you still have a good five, six, seven, eight hours of of living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's very scary (laughs) at first. Yeah. But it's amazing once you kind of realize that it's the best time because you're able to do things that, that you really want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And somebody I, had a, I was very close with, he was saying, me, you know, I could never stop drinking and I would just get too bored. 
And I, I go, you know, were you, were you bored when you were a child? He's like, no, no, I, I went hunting. I went fishing. You know, I, I played ball. I, I'm like, well, <laughs> you can do those things now, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And, 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 and that's a, a one thing I remind myself is that you also can look back and go, you know what? The drinking stuff, it wasn't fun. You know, it seemed like fun, uh-huh. but, but for me, it was not fun. You know, um, as much as I put on this appearance, as a matter of fact, um, just yesterday, I got a picture texted to me from a buddy, a college buddy and CC'd another friend. And it was a picture of us in Las Vegas, you know, at a bachelor party 15 years ago. And I'm of course just, you know, a mess, <laughs> uh, cigarette looks like I'm asleep at a chair, sport coat, you know, hair, and and they were just so oh my gosh this is the best oh i love that guy oh you know i mean almost to the point where i thought it was like i wish you would start drinking again you know mm-hmm. and and these are like friends and and i and i wouldn't immediately you know react like you know i get the you know but i i paused and i i just thought you know there there's no malintent here you know mm-hmm. um they don't understand all the nuance and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they said they read the book. Uh, <laughs> and I think that it took me a good 30 minutes of just kind of processing, like, why was I upset by that? Um, should I have the conversation of like, hey, you know, we're friends and think about this. And then I just kind of was like, it's it, it for me to expect somebody to have all of their brain power with all of their life going on uh, focused on how I might feel um, from afar. You know, this was sent from Houston uh, and it, it was a good, it was a relieving moment uh, for me. And, and coincidentally, I got another text from uh, a new contact who I'm very excited to meet and work with uh, in a communications capacity. And it was just so positive. And he's like, Oh, I've been on vacation. I'm sorry. I can't wait. Let's get together. You know, maybe we can meet for a run or something. And it was just funny. I'm like, wow. You know, this morning I wake up to this message from, you know, my, my friends from my past, you know, a picture of me drunk. um, And they're celebrating it. Like I was hitting the game winning home run and then at the same time, a few hours later, another message is from uh, a, a new person that is a very healthy and vibrant person and knows, doesn't know my past, but is excited about my future. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and, and I've, I've shared some of my past with this person because he has read the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it. Well, speaking of the book. Jason, how can people get a hold of the book? Where can we find it? How can they communicate with you as we're wrapping up? Sure. You know, um, Amazon, uh, of course, is, yeah, of course. is the, the de facto place. It is in and around a few independent bookstores, but you never know where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. If you're very interested, I would just highly recommend Amazon. It's there the next day. And I, it's also, I'm working on a, what is it? The audible version, which is much more difficult than I imagined. <laughs> um, 
for, for, for summer drives. Uh-huh. And then I have a, a website. It's the jasoncarter.com. And, and right now it's not really housing much except links to, you know, where I am on social. Um, I try to post something about the book to market it on, you know, Instagram here and there, but you know, the, the book is just, you know, that's the, uh, that's the core content that I think people are going to, you know, get from me, uh, besides these podcasts, because I'll tell you what is so amazing is, you know, every time I talk to, you know, hosts and we're doing this and you're in Tennessee or somebody's there, the world feels so much smaller and, and, and nicer and kinder because we're just, we're just sharing information. You know, it's almost like, okay. Uh, I don't know what happened there, David. Um, but it sounds like Jason froze on us. I don't know what happened out there. In, is it uh, still froze? I see the wave <laughs> moving. But what a fascinating conversation. It is a fascinating conversation. The, it looks and, like the audio uh, I'm is I'm so glad we were good. able to get Jace to get on here with uh, just all okay. his insights and experience. It says low and, connection uh, to server. I hope people will take advantage of the book. Yeah, I do too. The book, the title again is To, okay. to, to Hell that? I Ride. The, uh, and the, is it back? Uh, there you go. There you are. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> we, were just, we were just wrapping up and saying goodbye to you, Jason. I don't yeah, know what happened. No. Um, I I think um, I might have been you know, just kind of go quickly like the podcast and yeah yeah small sure. community and then we can sign off. But uh, yeah, but the most rewarding part of this this journey and the content sharing is is really talking to folks like you. And you know what I love about technology and this platform is that you know both of you are in Tennessee, I'm in Texas. We could be anywhere. And, you know, for a, a drinker or maybe a newly sober person, the world can feel uh, very lonely. And, and this is a way for me, especially to, to kind of shrink the world and remind myself that it's filled with kind people. You know, um, I yeah. just met you all today and you have brought me more joy and hope than uh, my friends, lifelong friends that are sending me pictures <laughs> of when I was wasted in Vegas. So. Yeah, I, I I really appreciate the the effort and the time, and uh, I I am excited for you know listeners to maybe respond and reach out and and just have another conversation. Yeah, awesome. Well, I sure have enjoyed hearing your story, uh, and I'm excited to read the book. Haven't read the book yet, but I, I promise you. Within five minutes of our sign-off, uh, I will have placed my order at Amazon. Uh, That's uh, awesome. I um, love a well-written memoir, and it's clear that you're a man who knows how to tell a story. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, 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 I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Uh, um, and I, I, I don't say that lightly. I, um, I'm very grateful that you're going to read it. And I think the C.S. Lewis quote that I was reminded of is that we read to know we're not alone mm-hmm. and you know the you know a book like this a real written memoir i think is just so great for a, a myriad of people whether they're doing this or that just to see how it's done to for somebody to associate with and share a common thought even though they could be long gone or they'll never meet them 
Yeah. Um, and that's what I get out of them. And I hope that's what you do too. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, listeners, uh, stay with us. We'll be back for the close on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I enjoyed our conversation with Jason, and I really enjoyed the um, uh, the the emotion that is yeah. fresh in him, <laughs> even as he recalls, you know, these these uh, just these epiphanies and these, you yeah. know, the the turning point moments that you know many of us have had that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, even when you go back to him for a minute, it just brings back that fresh realization and gratitude and all that. I enjoyed seeing that in him. Yeah. You can tell when that's genuine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, six years in just to think about that pivotal spiritual moment. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and I also enjoyed having a guest that we didn't have to, you know, uh, interrogate and drag <laughs> answers out of. You know yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice, it was a, I, mean, I, I felt like I could be a spectator on my own, in my own space here. Cause yeah, he, uh, he was great with knowing what he, uh, wanted to communicate and did a great job doing that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I promised him, uh, that I would order his book. And uh, so we need to sign off so I can buy the damn thing. Uh, yeah. I'm excited, man. <laughs> That's right. There are, there are, there, you know, there are a lot of memoirs that are written in sobriety and, and uh, not all of them are, you know, they're good stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a difference between a good story and a good storyteller. Right. And I had the idea that Jason can really tell a story. So yeah. I'm excited to read the book. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, that does it for this week. David. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, listeners, we always would love to hear from you. You can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, then I'm Nate and I'm David and we are your pals on the positive sobriety podcast. The positive sobriety podcast is recorded at crossroads for the nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli music by Rex Schnelli theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 